Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. All right, I see it's six o'clock. We're going to kick off here tonight. Uh, welcome to everybody. Uh, just to give a little background, the reason we're doing this is um, I think all the conferences that we go to nowadays this year, the human side is missing, right? The networking. Uh, a big part of my education, I give credit to the networking at the schools and the conferences that I go to, the other producers that I talk to. Um, there's far more knowledge in a room than there is at the front of the room. Right. We might have a, you know, a special guest at the front of the room, but man, there's so much knowledge in the in the group of people that we get together and regenerative agriculture is growing. And I just felt that we needed to keep this going. So that's why we're doing this uh, uh, networking session. Basically, I'd like to introduce, I, I guess, all of the sponsors um, tonight. We've got uh, three sponsors, all very similar. Uh, the Gateway Research Organization or, or GROW, uh, they are Technically, this is their platform and they're hosting this from the beginning. We also have Grey Wooded uh, Forge Association. Um, where's Grey Wooded? You on here, Brenda? You can give a turn your video on and give a wave. There's uh, Brenda. Um, and uh, they're also a sponsor of, of the, the speakers here. And then uh, Johanna is our host tonight. She's she's uh, pretending to be Amber tonight. And uh, she's from PCBFA, which is Peace Country Beef and Forge Association, right? Precisely. Right. Yeah. Okay. I always get the letters. You guys, you got more letters than us. I can barely get my three letters with Grove. So uh, anyway, all three of them are applied research associations across the province. And I'm uh, very passionate about that. If anybody has a not-for-profit group in their area that's teaching and, and doing extension and, and projects like that, get involved with them. Uh, be a member and take another step and be a director. And you can give the the, the direction of, of how the, the research goes and the, the extension. You get to you know pick and choose who gets to come in and be the speakers. It's actually really, really a positive experience if you become a director. So uh, I've been involved with GROW and, and uh, the research associations across the province for over 20 years. And uh, I just can't give them enough credit for all the education that I've gone. Like I'll go to sessions that they bring in and other uh, associations as, and, as well. And it's been very powerful for me as, as my education. So uh, I guess the other sponsor would, would be us. Um, myself and my wife, Amber's not here tonight, but uh, I'm with uh, Greener Pastures Ranching. Um, we just are basically a custom grazing operation here by uh, Westlock, Alberta. You know, doing this for quite a few years. And I started teaching about it quite a few years ago. So I do seminars in schools and I can do one-on-one on-farm on uh, consultations too. We've got webinar versions of that right now because of because uh, of COVID. So if anybody needs that, and Amber actually started up a video production company, so she does Paradigm Productions. Um, and uh, yeah, you can contact us if consulting or if you want uh, some videos made because Amber's getting really creative with those videos. So that's our official introduction. Um, we're going to talk about the most important part of my farm tonight. So if anybody got scared away today because of the topic tonight, I, I hope you didn't because this is the most important part of my farm. Um, I'm a custom grazer. I graze 1400 head of cattle on 3,500 acres of land and everybody thinks that I need to be a good grazer. Well, that might help, but it's not the most important part of my farm. The most important part of my business is actually human resources because it doesn't matter how good of a grazer I am, if I don't have the land to graze because I lease land from farmers. And if I've got grain farmers that are coming in and trying to, you know, outbid me on land, I've got to be able to hold on to that land, right? I got to create 
uh, personal relationships with my landowners just to hold on to the land. And, and that's a lot of work. I mean, I go for a lot of tea and cookies, right? I've got landowners that my kids call them grandma and grandpa, right? We've created this personal relationship just because we've spent time with them. So the human resource aspect of it is very important to me. Uh, and on my customer side, I've got cattle customers, right? Well, what do they want? Um, you know, we've got to give, uh, create these relationships. And really, it's about creating trust. We've got to build trust. That's one of the, the key words that I work on. Um, everybody has different personality styles. And we're going to get into a bunch of that tonight. And I'm going to let uh, Blue Set get into that here in a second. The one thing that really clued me in, I'm just going to tell you a quick little story here. Um, I just thought I was a farmer years ago. And I had an exchange student come from Colombia. I talk about Pablo a lot, but this was actually a different exchange student. So I'll, uh, I'll leave Pablo out of this for tonight. But I, um, they were still going to university when they were attending my farm and, and helping out and learning. So they had to give reports and send back to the university. And one time just before supper, um, this fella came down and he said to me, okay, Steve, uh, I, I got to do a report. I got to pick a topic. Um, how many people are in your business? was the question he asked me. And I'm thinking, well, we're sitting at the supper table and I'm like, well, you're looking at us. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We're this small little tiny farm. This is going to be a quick report was my first thought, right? Like you're not going to have enough to write on. And he said, well, no. Well, what about the guy that delivered your hay? I'm like, well, that's just a trucker. He's like, well, what about the guy that fed your bulls when you went on holiday? I'm like, well, that's just my neighbor. We just do favors back and forth. Well, what about your landowners? I'm like, oh, I had, I think I had like 17 landowners at the time that I dealt with. I'm like, oh, so we, after supper, we sat down and we started a list of all of the people just outside of my business that my business, you know, deals with and, and relies on and, and works with, man, his report got really big. Like there was hundreds of people that I have these relationships with, right? We talk about relationships with people. You think about your spouse or your kids or your friends, but we have business relationships that we have to work on. And that really clicked for me that all of a sudden I have all these relationships that I have to, to work with. And, and then I got into more, you know, more courses and, and seminars like uh, that, that I'd want to take in, in this. And they start talking more about this human resource stuff that I used to like cringe when somebody said that word but you know what it is without a doubt the most important part of my business so um from that i'm gonna let blue set kind of introduce herself um and uh we'll let her give her take on what uh, her thoughts on tonight's topic is oh where to begin i um i clearly have a, a lot to say on this topic and i know we only have an hour and a half so i'm gonna try to pare it down but I'll just leave an open invitation for anyone who would like to continue this conversation uh, later on. I pretty much have a free schedule these days, a little bit of financial planning for our ranch, but for the most part, I am uh, willing to engage in um, deeper conversation. So um, I'm Bluzette Campbell. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy the most is helping people. Um, it's where my passion lies in, in our ranching operation. Um, but by helping people, I don't mean by giving them the answers. I certainly don't have the answers. Uh, what I do is help people. I'm sort of a catalyst in helping people arrive at their own answers. 
And uh, it's, it's really fun work, especially when you focus on other people's problems, as I say. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just kidding uh, on that part. Um, but really, what I like to do is help challenge people. Of course, those are the people that want to be challenged. I certainly don't butt into people that are not asking for help. And by challenge, I don't mean like, uh, you know, challenging to a duel. Um, really, what I mean is more... Um, uh, creating conversation and um, asking thought-provoking questions. And i that's the kind of work I love doing. Um, so tonight I wanted to dig in a little bit about that. We called the topic Exploring Social Assets. You could really call it many things, but I believe it is where um, we can all increase our success in agriculture today. It's about... Um, identifying barriers in your relationships and team building and, uh, you know, finding those barriers that are blocking your progress. Um, I have a lot of other topics that I'm passionate about and that intertwine. So I'm willing to go there. It's kind of dependent on the questions that people answer tonight. So I strongly encourage you to start typing in the chat box right now and uh, asking the questions that you're afraid to ask anyone else in your family, maybe, or your, you know, your spouse or your business partners, um, because we can create a really safe environment here to talk about some of those things. Um, but I'm definitely willing to talk about how that um, agriculture overlaps with inclusion, advocacy, and diversity. Um, I often call myself the unconventional gardener with my holistic management principles in the garden. I, what else do I do? Oh, I love to release the inner chef in everyone. And I use a lot of holistic management principles around that. Um, and actually, uh, one of my hot topics lately is run because you can. And uh, all of those, of course, are unpublished works, but um, stay tuned for that. Um, one of the things uh, I'd really like to challenge tonight is, um, and no disrespect to anyone you've had, Steve. Um, there's been some fantastic speakers, great discussion, primarily focused on production and finance. And that's nobody's fault. That's where we like to focus. I think it was actually in one of your articles, Steve, that said production practices and talking about that, that's sexy stuff, right? That's easy. It draws you in. Um, it's comfortable. It's socially acceptable to talk about those things. Um, finances, you know, gets a little more dicey. Somebody might not be willing to open up their books or talk about their financial situation, especially if it's dire. Um, but, you know, it's a little more comfortable to talk about how to balance your assets and liabilities. And, you know, the, that is a little more comfortable. Talking about the people is really hard and rarely done. Not by chance that night, I'm just looking, we have 111 participants. Congratulations, you guys, for showing up. Um, Steve has been kind of around that 180 to 200 mark the last several weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing it's because people don't find it as important, perhaps, or find it difficult, or maybe anticipate a bit of a trigger when talking about it, um, or are in complete denial. That's a great topic. But in holistic management, we look at balancing things. So people, land, and finance. And I'm here to say that I think it's a little out of whack in our industry. And I like to focus on the people because I think it's essential in creating success in our farms and ranches. 
So I could keep talking forever. Um, I actually don't think I took a breath during that entire thing, but um, I, I think we're here to like answer people's questions and have great discussions. So I'll get into all my other thoughts later on. Yeah, some of them might come up during the questions. So mm -hmm. um, just so everybody knows, uh, type in your your questions in the chat box and Johanna will kind of keep them organized and keep you, uh, you know, on, on track here. If you don't want to, you know, turn your video on and your mic on, that's fine. But Johanna is going to give you a little bit of a heads up that, Hey, you're going to be next or whatever. Oh, I just wanted to mention too, that, uh, you know, you have it down for an hour and a half half and it's the after hours that are so much fun right <laughs> this is really good quality time but then we stick around and that's when you can ask maybe you know either a little um less direct question to more general to throw it out there to other people's experiences etc you got some questions for us johanna i do the first one was uh about seeing value in appreciating other farmers work so collaboration i think is is what the question's kind of looking at is how, how do you uh encourage that with you and your neighbors whose question was that let, let them uh, uh, turn from, the mic on from grass whisperer and they did not want to turn on their mic oh what he's being shy Apparently. Okay. So, okay. I found the question. Why is it that other farmers don't see value in appreciating other farmers work like Steve's custom grazing? I would say that might stem from, I, I get criticized once in a while that I'm, I'm kind of a middleman. They criticize me as being a middleman because I don't own any cattle. Uh, but my argument to that is, well, what about the guy who just makes hay, right? He's, he's a middleman. He's producing a feed and he's selling it to a cattle guy. So someone who's just a hay producer, is he not a farmer? Well, I'm just a grazer. So, you know, I'm doing what I love with, uh, you know, cattle and grass and land and, and I'm providing a service to other people. So I don't know, you know, that might be where that's stemming from, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, the middle ground, I guess. People are, uh, can get upset that, that uh, I think the term has been that I don't have uh uh, all, all the cards in the game, right? I'm not trying, I'm not doing the whole package. So I don't know, that's an economic decision for me. Uh, it, it, I pick the profit centers that are the, you know, most have the best margin and the least risk in, in my situation. So I don't know, Blue Set, you want to answer the human side of that? What do you think? Oh, do I ever? Um, <laughs> where do we start? Uh, okay, well, here's, here's what I would first like to say, and it, it's going to sound as a bit of an affront, but why do we care? Um, first of all, you know, when we're thinking about what the neighbor thinks about what this person is doing or, um, you know, what they think about our own practices, we get, it gets very muddled. So my first uh, recommendation would be to really focus on what you're doing and believe in what you're doing first and not be too concerned about what other people think. Now, if you're thinking this in terms of like a global picture and care for the land, you know, of course we wanna promote practices that are regenerative and the, the work that people are doing around there. There is what I know to be true and many people believe is that you can't change somebody. You can't change somebody's mind. The best influence that you're going to have on that farmer who doesn't see things like you do is to model, is to be that change that you want them to see. And if they're ready to, they'll jump on board. If they're not, and you're trying to change them and they're not ready, you're just wasting your time. So, um, you know, on a, on a broader sort of um, 
general view, what I would say, and I don't know this person that doesn't agree with Steve, is there's a lot of fear of change out there because if I admit that what Steve is doing is good and is right, what does that mean about what I'm doing? And so there's a fear about admitting that somebody else might have something pretty incredible for them because it reflects poorly on me. I don't happen to believe that paradigm. Like I can be doing great work and Steve can be doing great work and it might not be the exact same work, but some people are really, really feel fearful about admitting that what somebody else is doing is good because it might mean that what they've been doing for the last 40 years is not as good or is wrong. Right. Yeah, that, that should answer Troy. I know who the grass whisperer is. He can't be that shy to me. Um, I guess what it happens on, on me, mostly it's on, on Facebook posts or something. Somebody will start criticizing it. And again, it's yeah. uh, everybody wants to feel dominant or special or that they know something. So quite often I get rebuttals. And, and the way I look at it is I might have a debate with somebody, right? We'll go back and forth and we'll debate a topic. And, you know, I might think it's silly and, or he might think it's silly too, but the learning opportunity that's created there, that's what I like, right? I'm actually not mm -hmm. talking to them. I'm actually talking to everybody who's going to read this post. That's my goal behind it. Some of those people, I'm, I know I'm not going to convince them because they're setting, you know, that's what they're going to do. And that's what they've done for 50 years. And that's what it is. But I'm looking at all the other people. Um, I've had it in seminars as well, where people will, will confront me. I'm talking to the other, you know, nine, 90 people in the room. Because I know that one person, I'm not going to change their mind. But the other 90, those are the ones that you're planting a seed and you're, you're, you're stimulating thought, right? Yeah, and I might harmonize Steve with that, um, that, you know, especially posts on social media, but you know, you could be sitting around a table or in a conference room that uh, uh, pervasively in society where we look for things that we differ instead of that we have in common with someone. And that just seems to be, you know, instead of, you know, identifying with them and saying, oh, yeah, I can kind of see that. They're like, well, uh, that's not true for me. And we kind of put up this thing. And I'm not sure if it's uh, self-preservation or, or what exactly it is. But, um, you know, I would challenge folks that if you look for more of what you have in common with somebody as opposed to what you differ with them, the world would be a better place. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yes, there he is. So the context that I had was other farmers don't appreciate the custom grazing, how much money we save them. And it doesn't seem like other farmers want us to make a living, a good living at the things that we do, even though we're saving them a bunch of money. Yeah. And it, sometimes it that's going. sometimes that's an education thing for them, too. Um, and now we're going to we're getting. I'm going to go into economics and finances, right? Because they they look at things on a financial basis, the cash flow, the money they're putting out. When, when you really look at it on an economic basis, if you include your labor, your travel, your time, um, honestly, I can I can custom graze cheaper than they can. But half of them don't understand that, right? They don't they don't have that economic and financial understanding to to realize that and in their mind they feel they're right they can graze cheaper so why is you know why is uh, steve or somebody custom grazing in there trying to be a middleman right um that's okay i mean that's just that's something that we're going to have to keep working on educating people so well if they don't know their cost of production there's no argument yeah like i said i'm usually arguing with uh just to put the information to everybody else that's listening 
Thank you. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Troy. And we've got another question here from uh, Nathan Greenwing. If you want to unmute Nathan and ask. Uh, sure, I can. I think it overlaps quite a bit, actually, with uh, what y'all were just just discussing. But uh, we have a lot of trouble. I personally have a lot of trouble communicating with folks about the way that I uh, am trying to manage our land. And we're in a pretty conservative area in North Carolina. And, and folks just don't want to hear it. Uh, and I'm at the point personally where when I come up against somebody like that, uh, that's what it feels like is coming up against somebody like that. And I kind of feel like I have to tell them, <laughs> you know, either I'm going to just not say anything or I have to tell them, uh, you know, you are just so blinded uh, to the world and what really is here and, and what's happening in the situation. I mean, just all of that kind of big picture that is causing most of us who are doing this regenerative work to be doing it. It's just the fear that you mentioned. People just don't want to, to hear that or can't hear that. But I still need to be able to work with these people who are our neighbors because if I am, in fact, in the minority here and am looking at managing land in a different way, I've got to be able to communicate well with them uh, to encourage them to change practices. Um, and it's not being done very well in my community or even in my county, uh, the land management that's being encouraged is, is really poor. And so I'm just curious how I could potentially bridge some of those gaps that are pretty direct where people, they just don't get where I'm coming from. Um, and then they don't care to get where I'm coming from. <laughs> so, so what do you do in those instances? I, well, I'm ready. I'm ready to take that one, Steve. First off, I would say uh, in the most respectful way that ignorance is not knowing stupidity is not wanting to know. Now, I'm not saying that anybody <laughs> is displaying their stupidity. What I'm saying is that what you don't know, you don't know. So there, there's that component. And certainly, um, you know, I'm not professing that I know everything there is to know. But what I do know is what's happening on our own place. And nobody can dispute that because this is my place. And I know that we've, you know, at least doubled our carrying capacity through holistic management. There's no denying that. But I want to go back uh, quickly to um, a comment that you had made. And, and maybe you worded it differently with your neighbor, but by, you know, either not saying anything or going in. And I think you said, quote, um, you're just blinded man. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I understand, I think I understand where you're coming from. And yet, uh, when you, I'm going to bring up Steve's uh, previous article that he posted today about um, defining what kind of communicator you are. Um, if somebody you're talking to has a different style, and you say, man, you're just blinded, and they hear, um, you just told them that they were wrong developing a relationship with that neighbor is going to be very difficult. And so, you know, learning and developing those relationships and trust with those neighbors. Now, I get that it can be very difficult, especially when somebody doesn't see eye to eye. But unless you're willing to move or they're leaving, I mean, you're kind of stuck with this relationship. So it's about making it the best that it can be. I, I also think that it's clearly a passion of yours to hear you talk about it. You can tell this is striking a chord and is a deep value of yours because you're doing something regenerative and you believe that it's something greater than just your little piece of land. And so when people don't see that or don't value that, 
it's very easy to take personally. So my, my suggestions, again, they're not answers, is, is really to just take a look at, are you taking this one individual very personally? Is there perhaps a different method of communication that you can use to approach when you need to with this neighbor? Or maybe this isn't a relationship that you need to foster because that also happens. We all need to reduce the amount of toxicity in our life and some relationships just aren't meant to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all have different personalities. Uh, I just shared the link in the the chat there. It's also on my Facebook page if anybody wants. But um, I've got a very simplified version of a personality style. I mean, it's it's like grade one. I would highly recommend you though to go and you know go go to it and you know read about it and then go take a personality test. Go take a course on it. Go go educate yourself on that. The personality style differences uh, blew me away when I when I learned that. Um, I had no idea. Um, did you realize that we speak uh, up to four different languages, all in English, right? Like we've got four different types of personalities that are, that are the, the basis, and there's combinations of all of them. But we all hear and see things differently because of our personality style. And I might say something, but somebody will take it completely differently than I would because they've got a different personality style than I do. One of the the, the biggest things that I learned how to do was when I meet someone, you know, especially in a business relationship. My first five or 10 minutes of my conversation, mentally in my head, I'm trying to figure out what personality they are, right? Because if I can speak their language, if I can speak to them the way they understand, I'm much more able to get my message across. And uh, if you go through my personality styles, I've, I've warped it a little bit. You can, you can read it in there. Um, I've changed the names to make it a little funner. I've got uh, insects instead of uh, just the letters. It's a, originally a, a disc test, or it is a disc test that I use, uh, D, I, S, and C. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, the, the four different person, personality styles are quite different. And we have to understand that when you're trying to uh, negotiate with people. Um, they're hearing something different than what you're saying, and, and you you need to be able to figure that out. So again, uh, Nathan, just be be very gentle. Right, depending on who you are, um, I'm a I'm a dominant personality, right? I'm blunt. I'll say what I'll say what needs to be said, and I don't really care. If you're a dominant personality, and we we get together, we'll get along great if we don't kill each other first. Um, but if I'm if I'm speaking to someone who's got a very timid or a very you know a, a very different type of personality, and I come off you know being all dominant and, and blunt, I'm just going to offend them, and they're going to leave. Right. And that's the thing you got to be careful of is is not to push the other person away because you're speaking a different language. So um, without getting, you know, going into the whole course and whatever, that's probably about what, what we can do for tonight. No, I appreciate that. That that'll uh, that'll certainly make sense. Okay. Yeah. Be gentle. Yeah. Be and nice. I would I would also add, Nathan. If yeah. it's uh, if this is a, a crucial relationship, because I see you added. Uh, I think a little bit, anyway, I'm not going to go back to the chat, but um, if it is a crucial, crucial relationship to your business, you would approach it differently than if it's a non-crucial relationship. Because if this means that you can't, I don't know, drive through their property with your product to sell to the farmer's market or something similar to that, then that's a blockage to your progress. That's a logjam. You can't make your living until you repair this relationship that would be a very different situation than they just, you know, call you names at the coffee shop. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Yep. Definitely a valid point. Yeah. I appreciate it. Awesome. Barb, Barb's iPhone has a question. I don't know if uh, you've got your 
mic ready? So I live in Atlanta, which is an urban center, but I want to be able to do things that help educate and advocate for uh, regenerative farming from where I am. Eventually, of course, I'd like to have my own regenerative farm. But in the meantime, I feel like my best, like the way that I can make myself available as a resource is to do outreach and education. And I'm just wondering what are some of the best ways to go about doing that? And also just like some of the, some of the like tricks of, you know, how to communicate with people, because one of the things I've run up against is that a lot of people, it's like, there's a cognitive dissonance with them. Like they, they do want to do things that are better for the planet, but they also don't want to look at having to change the way they live or change the way that they even shop, you know, but I want to be able to um, get across to people, especially in the kind of upscale um, neighborhoods that I tend to hang out in. They're kind of like, you know, those people can afford to buy regenerative beef. They can afford to put in an entire order to white Oak pastures and, and really support that business. And I want to try and help them understand that in a way it's kind of a moral imperative for them with their level of ability to start supporting these um, farms so that the demand goes up and the price goes down and then it becomes available to everybody. So I guess I'm just wondering how I can go about reaching out to, I'm going to be working at White Oak Pasture, so I know I can, I can work with them, but reaching out to other local farms, like how would you be receptive to someone coming to you to want to do outreach and advocacy like that? For me, it would be figure out what their goals are first right? What their personality style is, is one, right? We just talked about that, but also what is their goals? Like, you know, is if they don't really care about the environment, then I'm not going to go on the environment side, right? If they are, what if, if, if they're more concerned about their, you know, family's health, well, maybe right. I would start the conversation about, you know what, if you had, you know, if you were to buy health, you know, this, this type of food made regeneratively, then it, it's a health aspect of it, right? So, you have to get to know the person first and build up some trust and then figure out what angle they would be most receptive. Right. I'm not, I'm not trying to deceive them, but if you go right away and you know, something you're passionate about and you want to jump on that because that's what you're passionate about, it might not be what they're passionate about. And right away they might get offended. Right. Honestly, if I go to a farmer and say, you know what, it's all about climate change and you gotta, you gotta put, carbon you know take carbon out of the air and put it in the ground if they don't believe in climate change and they think that's a hoax then they're going to be right away offended by me and they're not going to listen to the rest of the conversation but Mm -hmm. if i go to them and say you know what if we can take carbon and put it in our soil we're going to get more water holding capacity right then we're going to get more crops and you're going to make more profit yeah the same result but i'm totally looking at it from a different angle so everybody's different and if you're you know if you were going to do this on a platform like a you know facebook platform or something you're talking to a bunch of people okay now what is the majority of the people on that site are they farmers are they foodies are they you know and then then i'm going to kind of look at it a general if they're farmers well according to my personality test that you know, maybe you guys haven't even looked at it, it was something similar to that uh, farmers about 70% of them are all one type, right? They're all the ants. Um, so if I'm going to go talk to a group of farmers, I'm going to talk to them like they're all ants. Uh, whereas if I go to a bunch of foodies, right? I don't, they're not necessarily going to be all ants. I might, uh, you know, change how I approach that topic. Uh, but again, it's individual to who and what crowd you're talking to. So. 
Uh, yeah, Barb, thank you for the question. And I hope you heal back um, quickly. Um, I would suggest number one, know your farmer. And that sounds to me like you're, you know, once you're back in, in operation that you're, you're creating a relationship there, but there's probably more than one. And I think your biggest bang for your buck is to not just know one, but to get in touch with several of them that are, uh, like-minded and, um, and then number two, I would start the relationship with the folks that you want to have a conversation with for outreach and education by finding what you have in common in your beliefs with them first, because it's, uh, you know, the, the, the jam that goes on the bread is best when you can find what you have in common. It's so much easier to spread. <laughs> so and, and that is, that's time, right? Developing that trust takes time. Uh, mm -hmm. This isn't the kind of relationship that you're like, you know what, just take my word for it. This is better. It's healthier or, you know, whatever your talking points are, um, you're less likely to get a successful and trusting relationship by that because really they are your best ambassadors because they're the ones that are going to go and talk to their neighbor or have a dinner party eventually right. and <laughs> start having the conversation and be proud to say, you know where we got this meat? It tastes awesome, right? We got it from here. And this is why. Because it's not you saying it to them. It's them saying it to their friends. And they already have the trusting relationship in place. So you don't have to build it. So you just have to reach, you know, five or 10 or, you know, 50 or 80. And then that grows exponentially. I would um, echo what Steve said, um, and maybe look at it just slightly different from my point of view, is people want to make value-based decisions, but they don't necessarily keep the, those values at the top of their decision-making um, protocol all the time. And so reminding people of why they're making those decisions is really important. And Steve touched on it, you know, what's their goal? Well, if they want to increase their health, that's one way to do it. If they want to um, be proactive in, um, you know, regenerative agriculture, but they're not farmers, well, you've got some great ideas for them on how to do that. And if they're interested, you can get them some resources or point them in, you know, a TED Talk direction or, you know, some, just to yeah. kind of help give them information. But knowing, knowing what their values are, I think is probably a really great place to start. What I know that doesn't work for me is when I go out and get a little preachy with people, turns them off right away. So find what you have in common with them, share your own experience. So that means kind of being a little bit vulnerable yourself and saying, well, here's my experience with, with this and why I'm so passionate about it. And then go from there. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Got a question from Lynn Crossman. So like in our area, well, even where we used to live, we used to live on a eight acre farm and we tried to do rotational grazing. I went to Steve's course, like our land would stay green the whole summer and everybody else's was all brown. But um, we moved out of there cause it was too small. But I run into the same thing down here is when I talk to farmers for one, I'm a woman and they think that women can't farm, which isn't true, but anyways, um, <laughs> Anyways, how do you get access to land or 
talk to somebody when they figure that if you say anything about chemical free or anything that that's just against their religion, I guess. Um, okay, Lynn, my wife would be a great to answer that question. Um, and I honestly, I, I can tackle that one too, because I went through a very similar situation. Um, when I got into this business, and even when I started teaching, um, I looked like I was 12 years old, right? I was 35 years old, and I looked like an 18 year old. Um, so I had those same things, I'd go and, you know, try and talk to someone or teach them about farming. And, you know, with everybody, uh, a, a, an industry with with gray hair, and I had those same issues that I had to, you know, obstacles to get over. So yeah, I, I understand that. And again, it's, it's talking to those, those landowners to, to getting them to understand what, what is it that they want? What is it is their, their passion? Um, there's so many landowners I went to and they didn't, they couldn't care less what I was, what my passions were. Right. So I really had to learn about what they, what they valued was important and, and talk about that. And to get over that obstacle, I just had to prove to them that I knew what I was talking about. So, yeah, I, I will first describe about the, the women in, in agriculture. Um, I come from a background. My mother started a, a small ranch uh, at the age of 33. Um, she was from Poughkeepsie, New York, so she had no previous experience in agriculture at all. And I tell you, um, she had an uphill climb in that industry in the early 80s. But what she did and what she professed was the best thing was to find one person who believed in her. And that wasn't that difficult to do. And that's all she needed. So I would strongly recommend finding who that one person is that backs you um, unconditionally. And that's who you listen to. <laughs> Not necessarily in what you're doing, but who you are and, and uh, the validity of what, what you're engaging in. And uh, I'll just tell you, I believe in you. So for what that's worth, um, go get them, Tiger. I also experienced uh, my first employment out of university. Um, I had studied to become a, a geologist and I minored in German. And so I was, you know, headed out to find a, a job in the field of German geologists, which doesn't exist by the way, and uh, ended up in a job managing a sheep and cattle ranch in Montana. And uh, I was hired as the ranch manager at the age of 22. And that family had five sons, all of whom which were older than I was. And, um, and they were pissed. Just, you know, they were not happy about that. And I felt that I had to prove myself. So, Steve, I hear you, but I'm going to change the language a little bit. Model what you know. And if they're ready to jump on board, they will. And if they're not, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change people. If they're stuck in a paradigm that you shouldn't be there for whatever reason, because your hair is purple or, you know, you only have four toes on your left foot, that is, that's not for them to decide. That's only for you to decide. So knowing the value of yourself and what you're doing is all that matters. Find that one champion who believes what you're doing is the greatest and hold that person very close. In terms of the, you know, the practices, the paradigms of conventional agriculture, or, you know, if you say the word chemical and, and you might scare people, I would say, you know, it's a kind of about the personality thing, but you need to speak the same language. And so if that person thinks that the only way to be profitable is to spray chemical, we'll talk about profitability. 
because that's the language that they understand. So if you say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm seeking profitability also. I happen to believe that it is without chemical that I can be most profitable over a long period of time. How can they refute that? I mean, they might think you're wrong, but you know, again, if it's a crucial relationship, spend some time there. If it's not, you know, ain't nothing but a thing. I think you can carry on and be very successful without that person. And eventually when they tiptoe over the fence and say, what is going on over here? You know, that could happen. Uh, but get, am I not? And I wouldn't hold your breath. Yeah. D- don't be ashamed of what we're doing here. I mean, years ago, uh, when I first got into holistic management, it was a, a very powerful, uh, powerful group and a very, uh, encouraging and supportive group and all of a sudden you talk to other producers and they were they were calling it a cult i'm like what how can you possibly call this a cult and but i learned to grow with that and i was actually quite proud of that because we're this group together i mean we're we're doing some great things here and the fact that uh greener pastures got called a cult here a little while ago i'm pretty proud of that now because that puts me at the same you know puts me in a category with holistic management and that is a huge perk to me like that, that they're my uh alan alan um, savory is one of my biggest mentors ever don campbell is one of my biggest mentors ever um and if i'm even close to that category i'm proud of that and just yesterday on one of my Facebook pages, regenerative agriculture got called a cult. So I'm thinking we just took a huge step up <laughs> because it's offending some of these other people. So um, if you're offending somebody, that means you're, you know, maybe making some headway in what you're what you're doing is how I look at it. So, I mean, you still have to be very careful at at, uh, you know, nurturing relationships and stuff. But be proud of the fact that. Uh, you know, what they think you're doing is kind of crazy. <laughs> I, I like that fact. Awesome. I see uh, Larry Holocomb had a, has his hand up. Do you have a question, Larry? He wants to talk about virginity, I see. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, don't speak into the chat box. I didn't mean virginity, but I meant regenerative. So you'll ask <laughs> I'm embarrassed. So uh, anyway, I'm a uh, I'm on the board member of our local cattle association. I'm also president of the Young Farmer Association, and I try to push regenerative ag, but that's the problem. I try to push. I'm like Steve. I'm a type A in your face person, but I have finally learned to say that I do this way because I can save money, or I do this way to to help the land or to capture carbon. And it seems to come across a lot easier than me saying, you're doing it wrong or you need to do this. But it just took me a long time to, to come to that conclusion. It's like Steve says, you've got to talk their language or find something they're interested in and build on that. Um, it's just yesterday I went to the co-op to get a little bit of chaffe, which is alfalfa hay for a minute. But I saw two 250-gallon totes of uh Phosphate. Just, you know, I leaned over, shed a few tears, went on. So sometimes you just have to decide that you can't win all the battles. But it's just, y'all have answered a lot of my questions, how to talk to people about um, regenerative ag, because I like to change. I thought the South was the only place that was slow to change, but apparently it's all over Canada and the United States too. But y'all are asking a lot of questions as I go along. Thank y'all. That was a dumb statement, but don't speak into the chat box, type into the chat box, okay? 
Um, Steve, I'd like to start with that. Um, I know it's just a, a comment, but um, I have a few things I'd like to touch on in case they don't come up later. Um, one of them, Larry, is about opening the door for people. Um, we know that pushing them into something is probably uh, where you will receive the most resistance. Yes. Because they're pushing them in a direction that they don't necessarily know that that's where they want to go. So for those people, and there will be some that don't ever want to go there, and we can't worry about those. The people that we can have the most influence on, I believe, in regenerative agriculture is the people who are uncertain. Because the people who are certain, we're all here tonight and you know we're on similar platforms like this and chatting with one another and maybe preaching to the choir a little bit. But it's that middle group of people who are not have not yet made up their minds. And what we need to do is not push, but open. Open the door so they can see what it is that's going on. And back to Barb's question. So that's some outreach. That's some development. That's some, you know, relationship building and getting people in urban centers like Atlanta thinking about their farmer, thinking about where their food comes from, thinking about the impacts of their decisions. And that, in fact, they could apply something like holistic management, a decision making framework. They don't have to live on a farm to do that. And there's lots of other things that they can be involved in that don't necessarily um, you know, require them to purchase land. So opening the door, I think, is very important. Um, the other uh, issue I'd like to address is about change and the human capacity to fear change like it is a monster. And we're so good at avoiding it. As soon as it starts to happen and things are different than they used to be because of the change, we want to go right back to where we came from. And we lose sight of the fact that if we can hold on long enough will actually create a much better outcome and have a deeper level of understanding than what we did before. But it doesn't just happen quickly. And that process during change is really uncomfortable and really chaotic and, and not a lot of fun. So we cycle back. We keep going back, keep going back because change is too scary to, you know, to, to get the benefit of it, you've got to hold on. Yeah, but Daddy did it. I thought that's what we're supposed to do. It. That's what everybody says. That's what Daddy did. So it's hard to make change. Thank y'all very much. I appreciate it. I've learned a lot already tonight. Thank y'all. Yes, you're welcome. Awesome. Uh, our next question was from Sheldon Atwood. Sheldon, do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? Well, Blue, that's getting at about the the uncertain. I think that's actually the group that's of the most importance to regenerative hay. Whether they're uncertain as conventional producers that would be love to learn, there's a better, more efficient, more soil building, healthy, environmentally friendly, and more profitable way to do things. They might just be ignorant, right? They're not certain of the other way. They're just doing what they can another way. That's one group. But the purchases are the purchasers of our products, whether it's uh, holistically raised uh, animal products or whether it's wildlife habitat or whether it's carbon in the soil. There's people that want things from these rural landscapes. They want open space, they want clean water, they want all kinds of stuff, but they don't always have certainty about how to get it. 
So they thrash around with their own ideas of, well, make the government make some rules to force these people to create it for me because I want it. Or I can only get it if the label says organic and therefore anything without that label is a standard I can't subscribe to or understand or doesn't fulfill my need. And they're uncertain because they're ignorant. And, and Steve commented earlier about the importance of education as part of the process, educating the landowners that he works with to understand the importance of his skill set and how it fits into their desires, their needs and their business model. And Blue I think that's what you're talking about now is the importance of understanding people's needs and desires, understanding who they are, where they're coming from and what they want. And if you do that, then you can match the things we can create and, and offer them the information that they crave that helps them become more certain about how they can receive those benefits in a way that's good for the world, good for God's little creatures, good for their home, for their kids. And it might just be that it's a pretty place for them to drive by on their way from here to there, or it might be it's a place for them to come visit, or it might be the food they put in front of their family. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my two cents. I'll definitely agree with that, Sheldon. Um, the, the one thing that uh, I've found when it comes to landowners, your one comment about the landowners there is I need to be in my landowner's ear more than my neighbor is, right? Because a lot of people don't understand what I'm doing. I've had landowners who the, you know, the neighbors went to them and said, well, Steve's got way too many cows out there. He's wrecking the land, right? And I got landowners that'll come up to me. Oh, well, you've got too many animals out there. Well, Yes, if it was continuously grazed on just your piece, but I have 400 head out there, but they're only there for three days and then they're gone. So they don't understand that. But because the, the neighbor said that to them, I have to be in their ear more than the neighbor is. I have to explain to them, well, I've got a bigger herd because I'm going to, you know, do the rotation and give the rest. And we're going to create biodiversity and build habitats and we're going to get, you know, more carbon sequestered or all whatever you know, warm and fuzzy that makes makes it work for them. But I know the neighbors are all criticizing what I'm doing. So that's what I have to do is just make sure that I educate my landowners before and more often than my neighbors do. So yeah, a lot of tea and cookies here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, mic drop, Sheldon, there isn't really much I can add there. But yes, that's it's exactly the, the vein that I'm tapping into is that um, there's a large portion of people who really do want to do the right thing. And they're trying to access the information that, you know, to do the right thing for their family and to access the information to make informed decisions. It's it's tough to navigate out there. Who do you believe? What report? You know, you can find anything you want to believe in. It's out there. So I go back to you, develop a relationship with your farmer for those that don't live off the land and for the farmers to develop a, their relationship with the people who are buying your product or, you know, that represent the people who buy your product. Uh, Kevin Bush had a, was looking for some advice. Kevin, would you like to uh, turn on your, your mic and your, video and all right so i live in an area there's uh 
a, a number of small farms. Um, I was recently able to, I've been on this property for probably over 40 years, uh, just a small portion of a fa our family farm. I was able to acquire the rest of the farm. So we ourselves are in a rebuilding process that we're probably, you know, a couple of years in, uh, we want to do it with regenerative practices. And I've had a couple of the neighbors older than I am, and I'm not a young man. So, uh, that I've been able to, uh, use their property, uh, and between theirs and mine, we've been able to, uh, sustain the herd, but there's a, a number of other farms in the area that I would love to approach and try to get them on board with regenerative practices. But, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of building here to do myself. And I'm a believer in, you know, the field of dreams, build it and they will come. So I'm a few years off of having a model that, you know, I can present to people. So how do I approach them with my vision, I guess? I don't want to sound repetitive, but I will go back to open the door. <laughs> um, again, you know, you can, you, when you open the door, the, the flow has a, a much bigger chance of coming towards you. Um, and so, you know, you're looking for a gravitational pull. Um, again, you can't change people's minds. So what you're looking for, and it may be very difficult to do, you're looking for the slightest interest. You know, that some people might drive up and say, what you got going on here? Uh, tell me more about it. Um, in my experience, that doesn't happen. Our neighbors haven't done that. And we've been practicing holistic management, regenerative agriculture for 35 plus years. Um, so it might be more subtle than that. Um, it might be an opportunity that you don't quite see as an opportunity yet. It might be them stopping by the side of the road and wondering what's going on. It might come in in the form of an angry phone call. Like, how come you don't do anything about those, you know, fill in the blank, dandelions um, or something like that. Um, it, it might be of interest to them and it's disguised in a, in a different way. Um, so I would look for the opportunity uh, to present itself. Um, <clears throat> in my experience, I think and from people who have told me, uh, going door to door, kind of like you're selling an Amway product. Well, that totally dates me, doesn't it? When I say Amway, it is, is uh, less successful um, because it's not on their time schedule. They have to be ready for the change. And uh, so what you're looking for might be extremely subtle, but that's where I would spend my time. And then if you think you've invested enough time in looking for the opportunity and they're not there, you may have to be really patient and how can you design your business, your, you know, develop your team, whoever's involved with you, the neighbors that are on board in developing a profitable business with what you have, because the more you do that, the more the gravitational pull will be to your open door. So when I started, I was the door-to-door -door salesman. <laughs> I was selling the Amway product, but I was trying to get land. Um, I've, I took my piece of property and I drew a circle in the county map. Uh, I think a 20, uh, 20 mile radius. And I tried to phone every single landowner in that radius. And I was trying to be very polite. Um, hey, I, I'm new to the area. And, and, and that was probably the worst thing to say at the time. Um, 
and just said, you know, I'm trying to expand and this is what I'm doing. And, and I offended a lot of people because there were so many people that were already, I didn't know anybody up here in my, in this area. I just moved up to this area. So, um, there was a lot of people that I offended and they were, you know, they were upset because I'm trying to rent land that they've been here for 50 years and it's their God given right to be able to rent that land. And this new guy can't have any, well, I did get a few out of that, right? Some of the people that were new in the area, they, you know, they were, I I did get a few out of that. Uh, But one day it totally, you know, switched in me. Uh, I was driving by the piece of land that was right next to me. It was rented out to some other farmer and I never thought I'd ever get it. And, uh, I was driving through with my, with my bail truck and all my fencing equipment on there. And the landowner was on her way to work, right? They, they didn't farm it. They were just this landowner that owned this as an acreage, basically. The fence was down and there was three cows on the road, right? So she's head to work. She's late for work. And I stop, right? Just neighborly jump out. Wasn't thinking anything about it. I'm just, this is this neighbor I'm going to help. And I chased these animals, helped her chase these animals back in. And then she's in a tizzy because she's going to be late for work. Well, the fence is still down, right? I'm like, I just walked back to my truck, grabbed my, you know, fencing pliers and staples and some wire. And, and I said, no, no, no worries. I'll take care of this. You, you, you get going. I can tell you're, you know, I know you got to head to work. I didn't even know her name at the time. Um, and uh, I just fixed the fence for her. It took me 10 minutes and not a big deal. I was just being neighborly. Uh, three years later or four years later, something like that, um, the landowner or the the cattle owner quit and all of a sudden this land was up for rent and the husband right was gonna go down the road to the neighbor that he knew and really liked right liked the neighbor and was gonna let him rent the land the wife absolutely insisted that he phone me first and give me first crack right that just woke me up it's you know what it's not about you know necessarily who you know it's it's do you build that trust and I, I did not do that on purpose. Um, uh, Joel Salatin will call them pot sweeteners. What can you do that's just nice and, and a little bonus to the landowner or a little something extra that that uh, just, you know, basically makes them like you, um, makes them build trust with you. And that's what I've found is you just have to have that that respect and that understanding um, to make sure that uh, people like you. And that's one of the things that I go on now is, is, is that's my goal is to to try and do that is just get that good relationship with just about anybody, even if, you know, I'm never, ever going to have that uh, any business relations with them. Um, a trucker, right? Truckers are a dime a dozen, right? I could get another trucker next, you know, tomorrow if I needed one, if I didn't like one. But the fact that truckers go out and they meet a lot of farmers, right? That guy delivering hay to me, he's going to talk to another farmer and another farmer and another farmer. And I've gotten a lot of contacts. I've gotten land to rent. I've gotten, you know, work from it because some trucker made a good comment about me. So just be nice. It's uh, one of the phrases I've used for a while is it's your opportunity with every interaction to make a positive contribution to your relationship, right? Every interaction. It's your opportunity to make that positive interaction. So think of that next time you're about to tell someone off. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Um, One of the things that I'm concerned about also is that uh, I've got a lot of work to do here. And uh, there seems to be a window of opportunity right now with a number of people. They're seeing that I am putting up some hay. I'm moving the cows around. but 
I'm reluctant to take on too much as I don't want to fail and I'm by myself, but there's a number of custom hay guys that are waiting for an opportunity. So I don't want to spread myself too thin. Yeah, well, thank you for the question, Kevin. And I'm going to tell you why, because I was just about to make a statement and really challenge all of you. I'm sort of seeing a trend in the direction of our questions and no offense to anyone. These have been really great questions. Do you notice that they're all about the neighbor? <laughs> and that's, I think is, um, and this is human nature folks. I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying how easy is it to say, how do I get that guy to jump on board? How do I deal with this, you know, potential situation? So many of these questions, and Kevin is touching upon it right now about he's by himself on this particular farm. He might need these neighbors. He might want to develop a relationship with them in order to create his team. So I'm going to sort of throw out and say to you, Kevin, I hear you saying that you don't want to work yourself into the ground, that you have some things to consider. You don't want to spread yourself too thinly, and you're concerned about developing the relationships with the neighbors. There is so much work that we can do on our individual selves. And much of the work that you're talking about will fall into place. Now, I don't know you from, you know, Adam. Um, all I know is that most people are less willing to look inside and do that work than they are to say, what is wrong with this neighbor? And I know that's not what you said, but if you look at all the questions tonight, it's very easy to not look in the mirror. And so many of these questions, and I'm going to use this opportunity to dive right in, is are we really asking the right questions? And if, for, for example, your heart rate is starting to increase right now, you're getting a little uncomfortable. If I could see you, you might be wiggling. Then I'm doing my job because this is why we're having this topic tonight. It's why only 128 people, not 500, is that this is really tough stuff. It's hard. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, um, especially in agriculture, to suggest that I have some work to do within myself to uh, identify some um, social capital, if you will, Kevin. So if you're saying, well, I don't want to spread myself too thin, you can look internally and say, well, what do I have to offer? How much am I willing to do? Where do I draw the boundaries? Um, so that you know the answer to those questions. So when you go to think about a decision about whether you should take on this neighbor's land or not, you already know the answer to it. So. I challenge and, and the, keep the questions coming. And if you have a, an issue with a neighbor, I'm happy to answer some of those. But I also welcome you to, you know, maybe direct message and I can keep it anonymous or, you know, let's like you've got got me for another, well, maybe another couple hours if the after party gets going here. Let's get down and dirty, folks. Come on, ask the really <laughs> tough questions questions because oh. if you're starting to get uncomfortable then then we're on the right on the right street here okay just last thing it's one thing to fail on your own property but to fail on someone else's these are all really nice people and you know i worry as much about 
letting them down as as failing. Sorry, Steve, I'm jumping right in on this one. I thank you. Because, you know, what you just did is you totally put yourself out there. I know that must be, you know, pretty vulnerable to to uh, open up like that and say, I'm worried about, you know, letting people down. I mean, it sounds to me like everyone would want a neighbor like you. First of all, you're you're involved in regenerative agriculture. So you're thinking about big picture. And the most concern you have on a platform like this is disappointing your neighbor, which is just great. It's awesome. However... I think um, when you develop that relationship and you build the trust that Steve was talking about, if you have that trust, they're going to be so willing to go along the ride with you. You know, I mean, you can be completely open with them and say, I want to try this. I think it's going to work. Here's the numbers. Here's why I think here are the risks. Here are the possible unintended consequences. And my guess is they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you've thought this through. And you're willing to take this on. Well, we're on board. And if not, they might not be the neighbors to do that particular decision with. But if they're on board, my guess is they're going to support you 100%. Yeah, spend some time with them, right? I'm a a D personality or a dragonfly. And I I want the punchline. I want to know the answer. I want to know what we're doing. I want to get it done, right? I don't want to waste time chit-chatting and talking with people. But boy, do I force myself to go talk to landowners. I will go in and purposely, I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, I got water systems down and cattle to move and things to happen. But you know what? I need to go in and say hi. I need to stop in and just let them know what I'm doing. Hey, just so you know, I'm driving through and they'll invite me in for coffee. So I'll sit down and we'll, we'll chit chat and they'll tell me about their grandkids and their, you know, the birdhouses that they built. And, and the entire time it's driving me crazy because I got work to do, but that's the thing you have to do to build a relationship. And that's, that's how you're going to keep that relationship strong is to, to speak their language, right? If they want to, I've got other landowners who are also dragonflies, right? They want the, you know, what's going on they don't want me to waste their time. I'll stop in. I'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm going through whatever. They're like, okay, go. that's good. And then they walk away from me. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right on. Right. But I've, I've, I did that. I gave them that opportunity to talk and they didn't want it. So good. I'm, I'm out of here. But we have to build those relationships. We have to uh, build that trust with them so that, you know, you can make a mistake. You know, oh, you know what, that, that, that didn't work. Uh, you know, I screwed up and, and I damaged that paddock or something went wrong. But you know what? Um, because I've given enough uh, perks or bonuses or uh, I guess the term we haven't talked about it yet, Blue Set, is the emotional bank account. Right? We, there's this thing... Uh, uh, Stephen Covey, I think, first came up with it, the emotional bank account. We have deposits and we have withdrawals, just like your, your financial bank account. And you need to keep your account positive, right? You need to have more deposits than you have withdrawals. So when I'm talking to a landowner or visiting a landowner, doing favors for them, right? I'll drive in with my bail truck and they've got some big heavy piece of something they're trying to move. Well, I'll pull over there and lift it up and, and you know, I'll do that little perk for them. That's a deposit. I, I, I did them a favor. Um, I, I drop off uh, bacon, right? I, I raise pigs just so that I can, you know, my my uh, pot sweetener is dropping off a, a bag full of pork, 
Um, nothing, nothing sweetens the pot a little more than a, you know, a little bit of bacon. Uh, that just keeps them happy. They're, they're very happy with that. It's a little, little pot sweetener that you can give to them. Um, and then when something goes wrong, right? Honestly, um, I had 700 head rip apart a corral system this year. The landowner's corral system, like boom, it was gone. You know what? Some landowners would be irate at that. Like you better get out there and like, obviously I'm going to fix it. But they they laughed. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. we've built up that relationship. They know I'm going to fix it. Uh, they know that, you know, it's going to get repaired. Um, but we need to put more deposits in than we have withdrawals. And if I'm continually taking withdrawals and withdrawals and withdrawals, I'm going to lose that landowner. Right. So I have to put in more deposits than than I take out. Uh, same same idea as banking so hmm. uh so that yeah to the hmm to the social vocabulary <laughs> yeah and and i guess I'll, I'll just speak about it in broad terms and then we can kind of bring it up in the questions that come out so that we can really you know start to address more more of people's questions but um if you understand financial terms um, you're already one step ahead because all you have to do is put the word social in front of them and think about it in the context and how that relationship works. And then you'll be able to speak with your spouse better. You'll be able to speak with your, your in-laws better um, because you can start to transfer those relationships. So, uh, you know, assets and liabilities, you know, uh, Steve was talking about a favor, you know, a, a social liability could be, you know, somebody helped you out. Um, if you don't pay that liability, eventually it's going to be debt and it's going to accrue some interest. So if that's how you relate and speak the same language with someone, I think you can get a lot further ahead. And so that applies. And I don't want you to dive into the analogy so that you're dissecting every word. It's just that we tend to be able to focus on financial terms. We could even transcribe those into the ecological aspect of them. And, you know, talk about building biological capital and people would understand, okay, we're trying to, you know, build this up and cover the bare ground and those kinds of things and making investments into our pasture. Like that makes sense to people, especially in this group. But they're not willing to jump into the social aspect of it. And if we understand those two so easily, why would we not increase our understanding about the relationships with the people, why we're doing what we're doing? and and use those terms. You bet I want to increase my social capital. I would not be in ranching right now if I didn't have a team. And describing, you know, the 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 things that we have that we value as assets, um, the things that you know, without paying attention to over time, have some dire consequences. Just like they would <laughs> if you didn't pay your credit card for a long time. Guess what? You're going to be in trouble. Um, and, you know, I mean, that that would be a, a great way to talk to a spouse who is having some issues or barriers around really getting in touch with um, some intimate or profound conversations. Uh, that's, a, that's a great access point. So we can dive into that a little bit in, uh, into particular um, questions and relate to it that way. And I think it'll start to make sense for the listeners quite a bit. But let's get let's get to the next question. I just wanted to add that you you really, really need your community. And I could say to Lynn, Lynn, you're not just a woman farmer. I was also an immigrant, and I knew nothing about this country. So try it all. 
and come in a in a very macho customer area. But what I did also, I always farmed out my own teenagers. And then because I needed summer help, I just couldn't quite do it all myself. And then I hired 16-year-olds, you know, grade niners, grade teners, but never grade 12. They already knew what their dads was doing and I was doing it wrong. In fact, one of your listeners is one of them I hired. I went down to school and found out who was in the right age group of my neighbors. And it's amazing how the dads came over to see what what his son come home and told about what happened on this farm. So that is one way of getting, you know, you don't have, you should never try to change anybody. They they already have it set. I have my mindset from Denmark, which is not the same climate as here. But uh, then it is so important to have your support of your whole community. And that's one in way is to get these young guys, these 14, 16-year-olds, to hammer posts in for you or whatever. And it really worked well. Awesome. Hey, Steve. So uh, first question is, uh, and first, Steve and Plusa, uh, Steve, how do you know that um, that you only have 121 participants tonight because you weren't, that, you know, you're a cult? I mean, it might have been that you, they thought you were going to have them drink Kool-Aid or something, right? Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. That's okay. Uh, you can call me a cult. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, it's Well, it's it's great. I mean, if you look at the way Joel does it, he calls himself a lunatic, right? Because yeah. everybody called him a lunatic and it makes perfect sense. You know, you just basically, that was the basis of my of my question was, what what's your experience with the opposite approach where you, um, like we, when we do marketing, we're deep in LA, Orange County, San Diego. So we wear cowboy hat and, you know, traditional Western garb. We talk when they come up. The first thing we start talking is about sequestering carbon and and we memorize facts and we just we just you you, you just show them you're a duty expert because almost anybody can appreciate somebody with really good vocational skills. When we go to the country, I wear T-shirts and, you know, hats and kind of and I kind of take on the business approach because a lot of what our, our, our you know, cowboy counterparts want to know is how in the world are you making any money farming? And so. Um, the, the problem that I have with that is a lot of times we get, uh, if you don't read the audience right, you'll use the wrong approach for the wrong uh, recipient group. So one of my first questions was, um, and it's based a little bit off of what you mentioned earlier, Steve, is, is when you have that offended neighbor, and Plusette, you're going to love this, um, how do you, do you find that it's better to use the proactive, let me explain to you what we do approach or the reparative or regenerative, so to speak. Oops, uh, my neighbor spoke ill and now I've got a sort of doggy paddle to get my head above water and explain why there's 400 cows out there in a, in, in a space that's no larger than the size of your barn. What, what do, you, do you find that it's better to, to go in and say, hey, let me explain to you right from day one that I'm not your average Joe farmer here and that we're not just gonna stick cows out there and you're gonna see them spread out. Or do you, how much, how much preparatory education do you give when you're, when you're kind of getting into a lease? Yeah, I would say, yeah, preparatory education, right? Right at the beginning, when I first talked to them, well, I need to know who they are, right? Which personality style are they? That's my first 10 minutes. And then I need to explain to them where I'm coming from in, in their language. 
Okay. And okay. I've got to give them lots of, you know, more information from me than they're getting from the neighbor, like I said before, and definitely in advance. In because advance. If, okay. So you because, find it, it's better to be preemptive then? Yeah. They have the ammunition to debate with the neighbor then. Oh, right? I see. If, okay. if the neighbor's talking to them saying, well, this is how we've farmed for years and he's got way too many cattle, they have no rebuttal. Right. Got they it. don't they're city folk or they're you know, they don't understand the farming or, you know, depending on the landowner, of course. Yeah. But if they don't have any argument, they'll just nod and say yes. And, and then basically and then, and then you've lost the argument. Yeah. The, na- the neighbor won the won the conversation. Now, when the landowner talks to me, now I have a debate. OK, but if I've already been in there and educated them or talked to them, I'm, I, I don't want to, you know, don't don't take that the wrong way that I educated them. I, we had a conversation and we have an understanding. Well, yeah, no, in like the context, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And then they have a, you know, some some information to be able to to debate with the neighbor that no, 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 Steve's Steve's knows what he's doing. He's, you know, yes, there's 400 cows out there, but they're only there for two weeks. Right, right. Right. Now the neighbor has no, you know, they don't understand that. Now they're the one that's like, what, what do you mean? He's only there for two weeks. How does he, where do the cattle go? Right. Um, so yes, definitely uh, in advance, I need to be talking to those landowners. Do you find that to be a continuous process, Steve? Are, are, in other words, you've had your first discussion and, and are years later, are you going, are you still giving out information or, or are you just responding to their questions or I, I mean, I mean, obviously, you're not sitting down and, and planning out, you know, average depth cows days per acre with them because they're not interested in that. Are you just kind of meeting needs and keeping it fresh the whole time? Just keeping in touch. Okay. Right. A lot of times I will go, you know, stop in a neighbor's just to tell them, hey, we're driving through or, you know what, I got a new hired hand this year. Yeah. Right. His name is this. And, and just in case you see him, that's, you know, all I'm trying to do after the, the first year or two, once we've built that trust up, then it's just, let's keep in touch. Okay. Right. Okay, stop great. in and, and uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, you know, Hey, do you want to, you want to stop for a snack or something, right? Like um, come in for coffee or, you know, help them out with something. It's just a, a matter of being there. Okay. Being present is more after that. Like, I, but if they have a concern, right? Like I'll tell my customers, if there's ever anything, um, I had one customer here a couple of years ago who's a very dominant personality. And I know I've been warned that if he ever gets mad, like you don't ever do anything wrong, he'll like lose his top, right? Okay. He's fired people over nothing. And he, you know, he's very, so I'm like, oh, okay, I got to be careful with him. And all of a sudden he came up, he phoned me up one time and he said he was, you know, all upset because something had moved. And I'm like, I had no idea, right? My, I had a, a guy hired, he went in there and he moved something around and the guy thought it was stolen right? The landowner thought it was stolen. So after we kind of settled that out, I went up to him after and I said, just so you know, if you ever have a concern about anything that I've done, right? I will never do anything to offend you, right? I'll tell you that right now. Never anything on purpose. Yeah. Just, just to be aware of that. Right. Come talk to me. Um, you know, my landowner relationship is very important to me. I will never do anything to purposely offend you. So if you get offended, just talk to me and I'll resolve it. I guarantee you, I will resolve it. Right. No problems ever since. Wow. But the first time it was like a huge deal. I was about to lose four quarters of land because he was mad because this equipment got stolen. And if it doesn't reappear, I'm gone. Right. Like he was so mad at me. So 
okay, now I got to, you know, blend that over and smooth that over. Yeah. Now you got some repair work to do. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't do anything like nothing happened. It was just a misunderstanding. So yeah, definitely that pre-work that building that trust in advance, uh, way more important. What is that? What's the phrase? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask permission or whatever. What's the phrase? Yeah. Beg forgiveness rather than get permission. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm asking for permission. I thought you were going to say a strong wild city is harder to win back than a once a time, uh, once offended brother. Oh yeah. Something to that effect. (laughs) Yeah. Blue's that you got in well, I've got a follow on for Blusette. This is where it gets really good. She's okay. going to love this one. Okay. Blusette, uh, you're just imagine for a minute that you're just a, a business owner and you're going to go from California to Wyoming. Okay. The ranch you're going to occupy has been in one family since the Homestead Act. One family since the Homestead Act. And you're going to go buy that ranch and you are now the new guy on the block. What is the best? neighborly way to approach that you're oh and by the way on top of that you are surrounded by conventional farmers your website says all kinds of stuff and makes all kinds of claims you are probably if they're even looking you up on the internet your name is somewhat associated with uh let's see a few words lunatic uh savory uh something like that okay and and now you're gonna drop in and and i want to know you got to going up there with the family and the whole bit. What is the best, what's your best recommended method? And then I'll just mute. And I'm just kind of curious to know what you have for that. Uh, um, well, uh, my, uh, yeah, I'll first tell you you're from California. You're screwed. I don't know what you were thinking. Um, because I'm from Montana, a stone's throw from the Wyoming border. Uh, you know, there, there could be some challenges there. Here, here's what I would recommend. If you have a clear vision of what you're trying to do, there must be some reason why you chose to purchase this land. It it sounds like it's amazing. You make sure that there's a goal there. And we can talk about this on a, you know, a sidebar chat later about what that might look like. But having some sort of context about what you're trying to do and Making that public, I think, without even even having the conversation with your neighbors, because I don't know if you've taken the temperature, you know, felt the room out yet of how you're being received. But I can tell you the word California doesn't go over very well with most folks. So, and that's not everyone. You've got to come with your heart forward. Because what I do believe is that there is something in common that you share. They consider themselves, I'm sure, as stewards of the land. They've had it in their family forever, most likely. And there will be some common ground there. And I bet that's reflected in your goal. So, I mean, that would be my recommendation is that if you're if you're going to be proactive, which I also recommend in developing those relationships, you... Um, you go in with your whole heart. You're completely 100% authentic. Um, not going in with the expectations of all I have to say is this, this, and this, and they'll believe me. Um, or that it, it that you go in guns a blazing because they're going to be defensive. You you don't really know. Open minded, goal driven, proactive conversations would be my first recommendation. And I have about ten other, but I will spare everyone. You and I can have a discussion later. 
I'm going to say one more thing because I think it's important for all listeners. I, I would take a pretty um, deep look into what you have available as your human resource assets. Those are your strengths. You use those first. All right. Uh, we've got time for one more question, I see. So um, from Brian Maloney, who does not have a mic, uh, any advice for a old crusty dragonfly in a farm transfer with his daughter? Oh, Brian, Brian, Brian. Great question. Uh, you got your mic over. He doesn't have a doesn't have a mic, he said. Communication, right? You're the dragonfly. You have to back off and, and discuss it in her language. Right. What's her language? Is she not on the same page as you or is she on the same page as you? Makes a big difference. So that's hard to, you know, what we need to do is get you both in the room and, and put the gloves on and see what happens. Um, is she a dragonfly? Right. Um, that's going to really depend on the, the relationship you have as well. I mean, uh, we need to understand both sides of the of the argument and that's what the you know i'm blue set i mean you've got a, a a history in doing that you 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 know do some on on farm consulting on on things like that i'm sure so where i'd really like to go with that is uh let's discuss crust like what is, what does that mean exactly um and that's sort of a rhetorical question um when you self-identify as being crusty and i know it sounds like it's in jest you know, maybe that there, maybe there's something to that. And if I were you, I would spend a little bit of time. Like, am I stuck in the mud? Am I open to new ideas? Is this something that she wants or am I projecting what I want for her, you know, into this situation? Um, if there is something to crust, you might want to take a little um, look at that. I believe that every one of us has what it takes to manage the situation already without involving the other person. So you've mentioned, and I don't mean about the business. I just mean if there's any sort of work around the crust, you have every tool you need to work on that within yourself. You might just not quite know how to tap into it. So if crust is an issue, you know, you might want to consider looking at that. If that's just in jest and it's completely funny and then let's not go down that that road. But if it is, then you you want to start there. Um, Blue said, yes. Just just to give you a heads up, he just said in chat that she is a super dragonfly oh, too. Okay. So we have two dragonflies Whoa. fighting. So let's let's go with that. Yeah. Have you ever seen dragonflies in the air fighting and eating each other at the same time? I can imagine that gets um, quite heated. But you have, I think that's that's also a strength. So while it might create some conflict. If you can get over that initial conflict, I bet you have a lot in common. So that's great news, actually. I, I think, uh, you know, Steve mentioned communication already. I'm not going to harp on that, but don't forget that piece. Um, if it is succession, uh, you know, a generational transfer that you're after, you have to have a goal. You've got to have that conversation around this is what this looks like for me. And she's got to be able to identify what it looks like for her because expectations are there, whether you want to admit it or not. And you have to air those out because as soon as something deviates from the expectation, there's disappointment that builds resentment. And then you're headed 
in a very difficult direction and, you know, not necessarily irreparable, but certainly an uphill climb. So if you can start there uh, and have, have break down some of those barriers or get them out of the way first, write that goal, I bet that would be the first place to start. If you've got two dragonflies, if you don't kill each other first, you're going to get along great, right? One has to learn to back up a little bit, right? They, they, somebody's got to be a little bit on. But if you ever have an argument, right, you can get mad at each other, you can yell at each other, and then the next day, you're buddies again, right? That's the advantage of being a dragonfly is that you don't hold things, you don't hold grudges very long. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to work those out, but you, you have the same language. That, that's actually an advantage. Um, if you're, if you understand that, that, that you have the same language, right? So we really got to look at those personality styles. Again, I would highly recommend you to, you know, take the, the, some kind of education on that. When I first took that TPAP course in Texas that I, I first saw the disc test, um, they, they threw it through a computer program and, and it spit out a 17 page report that it was like my wife wrote it. I couldn't believe how accurate it was. It was just amazing. So take take one of the, the you know better versions of it, obviously, and and that's a huge start to your you know building your human resources in your family and just outside your family as well, right? All those business relationships outside your farm. So uh, I can't emphasize that enough. That's like I said at the beginning, the most important part of my business is human resources and communication. All right. With that, we're going to shut down the official part of the night. Um, again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, the Gateway Research Organization uh, for hosting here, Gray Wooded uh, Forge Association for uh, uh, sponsoring us as well. And uh, tonight, Johanna is with the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association. I got that one right. Um, and uh, by all means, support those guys. Uh, all these applied research associations, uh, I happen to know that most of their AGMs are coming up this month or next month. Uh, Johanna, when is your AGM? I believe our AGM is happening end of the month, uh, the 22nd, I think. I'd have to double okay. check that. But. If you can find that and post it in chat, that'd be great. And Brenda, when's your guys' AGM? We're on June 10th. Oh. That suits our, suits our bylaws and uh, gives our oh, time to do books. Okay, awesome. I know Grows is on April 6th, I think. It's going to be an evening AGM. So by all means, if you guys want to you know, join them and uh, attend those, those are going to be a great opportunity. So, um, and with that, thank you very much for everybody coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, next week, we're going to have, uh, the topic is going to be on uh, regenerative grain farming. So uh, that's going to be interesting. We're going to have a fella come in who um, is with uh, uh, Rocky Farms, who, who's basically a, a, a crop farmer who does regenerative um, he's one of the one of the best presentations I've ever seen and uh, I'd really like to encourage you guys to come take a look at that even if you're not a crop farmer um, some amazing ideas that uh, that he has. Blue Set would you like to kind of do a closeout? Yeah well I just wanted to say for those that are interested there were um, quite a few questions that came up from last week's networking uh, that was in the chat and so I mentioned to those individuals that uh, you know, I would, I would answer them. And I think uh, that would be best done in the after hours. And those just for the people who are on those are questions about intergenerational transfers, questions about um, how to get your kids involved in your 
business. Um, so we can talk about some of those things later. And yeah, I just wanted to leave with, you know, I'm, I'm a certified educator in training, so I'm not fully certified yet. I'm hoping that will happen within the next year. Um, COVID has certainly put a little bit of bump into that learning plan, um, but I am co-teaching, uh, possibly doing some online holistic management courses. I do one-on-one -on -one counseling, and I'm also um, very interested in doing presentations for groups. So if you have a 4-H group or you have, you know, the Rotary Club or and there's a specific topic that you want to delve into, I want to know what you're curious about. Um, you know, if you're the garlic growers of Kajikistan, uh, you know, I'm your person. So I'm sure we can find something to discuss and to start peeling back the layers. And like I said, uh, Blue Set's presentation at the organic conference last year was my absolute favorite of the whole day or the whole three days. Um, it was very powerful. I was uh, uh, very much appreciative of her and what she talked about there. So uh, with that, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to shut her down for the night.